Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Crossed Up. Yeah, that's me, Anthony Sanfilippo, doing the hosting. Normally, it's it's my partner, Bob Wankel, but Bob is not here uh, following the Phillies opening day loss to the Texas Rangers, 11 to 7. Uh, my, uh, my, my compadre, my son, Anthony Jr. is here to join me for a, a, a two person episode, a San Filippo episode. And that's because Mr. Wankel had a baby boy Wankel today, uh, earlier today. So congratulations to Bob, uh, his second, his second child. Um, I'm sure he will be putting out, uh, all the wonderful details, but we predicted this. And the funny thing is, is, you know, last year when Bryce Harper broke his thumb, we, Bob and I on the podcast predicted the exact day that Bryce Harper would come back and he came back early and we were, we were good. Like we made this prediction, um, and he came back early and, and uh, and yes, so that we had that. And then when Bob told me at the beginning, when we were first starting bringing the podcast back a couple months ago. He told me that his wife was due uh, April 3rd. And I said to him, I said, you know what's going to happen, right? I said, the baby's going to be born on opening day. And he said, I know it's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. It's going to be opening day. And lo and behold, the baby was born on opening day, right? So uh, so Bob is Bob is uh, on out for uh, paternity leave. It's not a long paternity leave, but he will be out uh, short term. So it'll be a lot of me and you kid doing this podcast and for those checking out on youtube i should identify just in case you can notice you could tell uh, i did not get into a bar fight um the the little uh, bruise over my eye and if i took my glasses off i have a, a stitches in my eyelid i had to have a minor surgical procedure this morning um to remove a cyst from my eyelid um so that's why i look a little beat up uh, this evening while we're doing this. Uh, so yeah, we're, you know, Bob's out, uh, you know, I'm playing through injury. Uh, so it's all, it's going to be all you, Ant. I mean, you're, you're going to have to carry the, carry the load the rest of the rest of the podcast. Well, I'm glad that you decided not to tell the truth and say that I punched you, uh, when we got into a fight, but you know, it's fine. (laughs) People can believe your little eye story. That's, that's okay. Uh, That's right. I've learned not to watch baseball with you any longer in person. (laughs) Although we are going to, the funny thing is, is that, um, we should, we should announce this. We are going up to Yankee stadium next week. And I, I just knowing how you are when you are out watching a game at a, at a local restaurant or bar or mm-hmm. other kind of establishment, I'm a little worried. I got to be honest, a little worried at what it's going to be like up in the Bronx Zoo with you uh, at, a, at a game next week. And we're going to see Nola Cole. So it's going to be kind of an interesting, interesting game, the final game of that series. So um, I'm sure we'll have some stories next week following that game to talk about. But we got to talk about opening day today because it started great. Like it looked like it was going to be a fantastic day for the Phillies, up five to nothing in the top of the fourth, and then in the bottom of the fourth, it all went to hell. The Rangers scored nine runs in the bottom of the fourth, five off of Aaron Nola, four off of Gregory Soto, um, and then tacked on two more later. Uh, Connor Connor Brogdon gave up a home run to Brad Miller. Uh, I think there was another run scored. I forget how it happened. It was it was a, it was a blur. Um, Phillies end up losing 11-7. Um, a lot of positives on offense. A lot of negatives with the pitching. So let's just dive into it. And and the first thing we got to talk about is the thing that I, I think, and it's going to be frustrating because you know everybody knows 
and and I think it, it'll be nice to have you chime in on this because everybody knows that I constantly defend Aaron Nola. I've written stories about Aaron Nola defending him. I defend him on Twitter. And look, he did not have a good game today. I mean, you you don't blow a 5 nothing lead. It's the first time he's ever blown a five-run lead in his career, okay? You cannot blow that lead. And, you know, for whatever the reasons, you know, you listen to him after the game, and he says, yeah, he's a little unnerved by the – by the pace of the pitch clock and we're going to dive into pitch clock stuff you know at the end of the podcast today so hang on for that because i know that we're both going to have some negative stuff to say about it but um you know so you can't have the inning that he had you can't have that fourth inning because the first inning he was a little wild you you could tell that he didn't have his best stuff but second and third inning he looked a lot better he like looked really good in those innings um and even got the first uh i think he got the first two outs of the fourth inning before he uh, went went imploded, um, gets, gets up a three-run homer to Robbie Grossman, of all people. Um, so fans start killing him. I mean, like, if you go on Twitter, you look everywhere on Twitter, Facebook, you know, Phillies fans, absolutely blowing. Aaron Knoll is not a big game pitcher. It's the same BS we've heard for years and years and years. And I look at it and say, look, it's one game. Yeah, he's the blame, right? You can't, you can't have this happen. But, I mean, how, how do we what, – what can you say? What can we tell people, Anthony, to, to let them make them sit there and understand that Aaron Nola is not not a, as bad as they think he is and is, in fact, one of the best pitchers in the game? Uh, I mean, first of all, I mean, I know that it was being pumped a lot on TV about how he's thrown more innings than anyone in the past five years. Well, inclu- yeah. six years, whatever it was. Yeah. And he's, he's a horse – as even if you say he doesn't win, he goes out and he throws innings, and it's not like he's going up there with a four-five ER career ERA. It's a three-six career ERA. So anybody who can throw with that bulk with that ERA, I think, is something that like fans in general should just not be upset about. Um, of, co- of course, I know you're an avid defender. I'm a big defender of him as well. His other statistics are outstanding. He had the best strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, and for Philly in 11 years since Cliff Lee last year. And all we hear about is how he blew it in the World Series and, and all that. So it's it's all noise. It's when you're the guy, you have to be the guy. Um, and he, unfortunately, he's, he's kind of like, he's the Reese Hoskins of the pitching staff um, because Reese was here when we were bad. He was around for all of that, and he was supposed to be like the beacon of light. And so if he's not perfect, the fans are going to get on him because they're like, Oh, you're just like all the other schmucks that were on the team back then. And it's kind of the same thing with Aaron Nola because he was here when we were bad. And the difference is is that Aaron Nola has been top 10 Cy Young multiple times, third, fourth. And like he's his, his, uh, his whip was below one last year. Like these are fantastic statistics. And you can't just look at wins and losses. You just can't. No, exactly. And, and you know, and it's funny. Like, we were looking this up before the show, and we were saying, um, you know, on Baseball Reference, they do a comparison, and they can statistically compare pitchers um, to every other pitcher in the history of the game. And who are they most similar to? You can look at who are they most similar to their entire career. His entire career, he's most similar to? Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler. And at age who 20. Who the fans love. Right, who the fans love, right? Most similar statistically to his teammate, Zach Wheeler. Um, and uh, prior to turning 29, so he turned 29 this year, they compare him to Matt Latos, who for a short period of time 
was a really good pitcher for the San Diego Padres. Then he had some injuries and and, and fell off the fell off the map. But who was he most similar to at age twenty eight? So prior going into last season, uh, Max Scherzer. Oh, most similar to Max Scherzer. And the year before, who was he most similar to? Jim Bunning. Oh, is that, is, who's a Hall of Famer, right? Hall of Famer. His number's up at the stadium. Oh, okay. Yes, it's retired. It's a retired jersey. Okay. All right. I'm just saying, like, and, and we don't, you know, we don't need to, and this is not to defend today's outing. Again, it's a, he had a bad fourth inning, probably should have been pulled a little bit earlier in the inning because you could tell that he, his stuff just wasn't sharp. His, he couldn't get his fastball down. The curveball didn't, I mean, it was okay. It just wasn't great. Um, and it looked like he was throwing a lot, you know, got away from the two seamer a little bit. Um, it was mostly the four seamer. The, uh, his velocity was slightly down in that inning. He was down to like 92 when he's normally around 94. Um, so there, there was a lot of things that were kind of like red flags, uh, aside from the fact that he was a little wild early and he's not normally a wild pit, right? He doesn't walk a lot of guys and he was wild in the first inning. So there were some red flags. And so, you know, you could sit there and argue should Rob Thompson have got him out sooner. So, yeah, I mean, not a good start by Aaron Nola by any stretch of the imagination. But let's put a couple other things into perspective on, on Aaron Nola from this, from this game. How many innings did he pitch in spring training? 13. 13. He threw 13 innings in spring training. Now, I know the Phillies will sit there and say we had him throw uh, a simulated game on the backfield, which they did, Wheeler as well, and they each threw a simulated six-inning game. And and that's fine. Like you're throwing, you're you know you're facing like live batters. You are sitting down between innings, so you have your up down time, right? So all that stuff is in fact taking place. But you're pitching to teammates. You're pitching to guys in your. The leverage situation is not. If there's no high leverage, you're just back there throwing. It doesn't matter what the outcome is. Your goal is to throw X number of pitches or X number of innings and then call it a day, right? So so there's a lot different there. Like, And there's and it's another thing, when you're a competitor, there's a difference between a game that matters and a game that doesn't matter. It's just there, there just is in your head. Um, so 13 innings, is that enough for for a guy or any pitcher, really? It doesn't, not, let alone a guy that you're relying on to be like the ace of one of the aces of your staff. Is 13 innings of spring training enough before you go into the regular season? If you're a reliever, I guess. Um, but, like, yeah. they're down there the week after the Super Bowl. And I'm not expecting them. Obviously, they, they, they take two weeks to, like, get into shape and get mm-hmm. going. But, like, the first spring training game is, like, the last couple of days of February. So they spend a whole month down there. In 30 days, you threw 13 innings. You threw less than one inning every two days. Like, of course your arm's not going to be ready for the season. Like, of course you're not. Right. Eric Cole, for example, had a great opening day. Through 22, 23 innings. For the like, Yankees, yeah. Live, yeah, yeah, live and, and just five starts. So he had like normal three to four innings. He was pushing himself a little bit more, and he looked great. He looked like Garrett Cole. Obviously, if you don't do that, Aaron Nola, like, he didn't look great. Like, didn't look like old Aaron Nola, like, to start. But he, by the fourth inning, you can just tell he was losing it. His arm wasn't there yet. Yeah. And so that makes you, that makes you wonder a little bit, Ant. Like, you know, I know the Phillies – were a little concerned about pitching because of, you know, all the injuries that happened in spring training between Andrew Painter and Ranger Suarez and Christopher Sanchez and Nick Nelson. I mean, guys were dropping like flies and their depth was really being challenged to the point 
where the last week, other than Bailey Falter getting a couple of starts in the last 10 days, they really just did minor league pitchers and bullpen games in spring training, right? Just because they didn't want to risk losing anybody else. Is it possible that that approach, while it got Nola and Wheeler through spring training healthy and feeling good and getting into the season, could have a slight backfire effect here to start the year, at least in the first couple of starts? Of course. I mean, there's that phrase of managing scared. There are organizations acting scared. They're like trying to prevent something that you can't predict. Like you don't know if someone's going to get hurt. I mean, yes, obviously if you throw more, there's a higher chance of it, but you have to get ready. Like this, this is a dog fight. You're in the toughest division in baseball. You need to win games. You Mm -hmm. can't like, it has to be go, go, go from the start. And you, I mean, you can't like nurse these players. Like you, like you could, if you weren't competing, if you're trying to save them for next year, you're trying to win this year. You gotta get going. Yeah. So it's it was a mistake. Yeah, and I'll t- I'll give you another one that's that's kind of an interesting perspective to kind of look at. You know, JT Real Muto and Garrett Stubbs were both off at the World Baseball Classic for the better part of two weeks. So none of the pitchers worked with the guys who are actually going to be catching them in these games that matter. Yes, Stubbs came back a little early, but he was banged up, didn't catch it all after he came back. Real Muto did catch a few games, but again, by the time Real Muto came back, he wasn't catching Nolan Wheeler. He was he caught Bailey Falter and a bunch of relievers and minor leaguers, right? So I guess the the, the question is, even though they've got it, they've worked together in the past as a tandem and and have had good success together in the past. When you're like when you're Aaron Nolan, you're adding a different change. He's now got two change-ups. They were talking about the fact that he has both a two-seam and a four-seam grip change-up to try and make both of his fastballs look a little bit different. When you're working on those things, it, isn't it possible that, that you know, you're not really quite on the same wavelength at that point with your starting catcher, no matter how much you talk about it before the game, when you're in a certain situation and you only have so much time now between pitches to kind of throw a pitch that maybe maybe that's not you know you guys aren't quite in sync yet yeah i mean that's pretty obvious i mean nola was quickly going away from pitches in the start because um there wasn't confidence and there wasn't trust and um yeah they weren't moving like they normally do but you still got it like if you have an arsenal you have to throw it and it felt like he was going away from that and that can definitely stem from the fact that jt hasn't caught it he doesn't he doesn't know it he's not calling for it you have a whole communication issue there. So it's it, – I know that they – part of this whole thing isn't even – it's beyond the injuries. It's because they pitched so late into the year last year. They're trying to give them time to, like, rebound from October, November. But, like, it's been three months. JT went and caught other people for a month in, for Team USA. So, like, you got to – you got to – it's a new season. You have to treat it like it's a new season and it's like a new team. Because if you if you just be like ah it'll just click like last year it won't it's it's not it's not how it works exactly exactly yeah and, and you know it's it was just it was just surprising to me like it really was that that it, you know you knew you knew I think you could tell right away that Nola was not Nola even though he got through that first inning unscathed didn't give up a hit right. Um, yeah, and, and then right for the first three, but that, but at least the second and third inning, like I kind of felt, um, I kind of felt like he was pretty good, 
uh, in the second and third inning. Like it was like, okay, he just needed an inning to kind of settle in. Um, but yeah, he got away from a lot of his pitches. He ended up throwing 32 fastball out of 72 pitches. He threw 32 four seamers and then he threw 20 curveballs. Like he really got away from the changeups and the, and the cutters and the sinker. And I know that, I know that the cutter, the, the changeups that he did throw got hit a little bit. So maybe he didn't feel confident with it. Um, but he only had he only had five swings and misses today, which is rare. I mean, he usually generates more swings and misses. He's one of the best strikeout pitchers in baseball. We know this, right? He had best uh, led Major League Baseball in the strikeout to walk ratio last year, um, and he only had five swings and misses all day. So you can tell that that Nola was not there, was not you know his again his four seamer was at ninety two point eight average for the game. Um, and his uh, his two seamer, which I guess they call it a sinker, ninety two point two. So both of them were were a little bit down. So there was something that was just not right with 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 him. Um, I just wish that they would have got him out of the game a little bit earlier. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's tough because it's opening day. Um, you have a tight pitcher situation as it is. Uh, you do have a day off, so like you you can not worry about stressing arms out too much, but you're coming out of spring training. You want your, your guy to go if you can. Yeah. And his, his pitch count was fine. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a pitch count thing. Right. It was just, you can tell he lost it. And that's when you have to just nip it in the bud. He doesn't have it. Cut your losses and try to figure it out from there. Uh, in but, all honesty, the Rangers did that. Now, oh, and, yeah. to be fair, they did announce before the game that DeGrom, because he was a little bit behind, because he had that, I think he had like a, a, back of the shoulder kind of thing at the start of whatever it was at the start of spring training. So it was a little bit behind that. I think that they said that they were going to try and, you know, limit him to about 70 pitches or so. And that's, and I think he threw 73. So it's not like, it's not like it was a surprise that they pulled DeGrom when they did. But the fact of the matter was, was that they looked at the situation and said, we got to get, we got to get him out. I mean, they had bullpen activity up even sooner. And I was like, we got, we got to get him out because this game's getting away from us at five to nothing. Um, and they were able to take advantage of, of Nola and Soto in, in the next inning. But Bochi, you know, he sent his, he sent his pitching coach out, Mike Maddox, and basically to tell DeGrom, you're done after this batter. Even if the, even though the next batter is a good matchup, like you're, this is it. you you got to come out. I don't think that, I don't think that was the conversation. I think the conversation <laughs> is buy as much time as you possibly can. He yeah. had the slowest pickoff move to second. He stepped off the mound. They were yeah. trying to get someone warmed up. That's yeah. what that conversation was. Well, well, sure, sure. But I mean, at the same time, he had to know he was he was done, yeah. right? But, yeah. but he, he knew that coming in. They, yeah, they, like it wasn't like it was that that visit to the mound was buying time to make sure an arm was ready. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, by the way, speaking of Degrom, as as much as the Phillies hit him, and they gave they hit they. All, every hit off of him was an extra base hit. Every one. They got seven extra base hits off of Jacob DeGrom in three and two-thirds innings, who I don't think there's much of an argument that when he's healthy, he's the best pitcher in baseball, right? Yes. Did anybody out there criticize Jacob DeGrom for giving up five runs and seven extra base hits in the opening day game? Is he not a big game pitcher because of that? Does he stink because of that? Just wondering. Just, just I mean, curious. It- this is a little cherry picking here. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> talking about a guy who uh, had a 1.7 ERA 
uh, <laughs> in a full season. But that's my but, but this is my but this is my point though. I know, I know, right? I yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's the point. No, no it's oh, it's perfectly oh he can have Jacob Degrom can have a bad game, Aaron Nola cannot. But let's not let's not just talk about Aaron Nola because it wasn't just him. I mean, yeah, of course he blows the five nothing lead, but he didn't lose the game. I mean, he didn't he didn't take the loss. It was he comes out it's five five. The Phillies then bring in Gregory Soto, their new uh, big you know big acquisition and trade of Matt Veerling and 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 Nick Maton to bring in Soto another fireball lefty reliever and he comes in and it went what walk bloop single walk the number off the end of the off the end of the bat right that that he tries to throw home to get the force at the plate on jt and uh smith beats i think it was smith josh smith, smith that smith. scored right um, who was it Drew Smith? Josh. I think it's a J. Josh Smith, I believe. Yeah. Whatever Whatever it is. But anyway, um, yeah, he scores at that point. And then it's like, okay. And then I give up. I think he gave up another hit after that. And then it was enough. They take him out. And then Brogdon gives up the – oh, no, no. It was a wild pitch. Yeah. Pass ball. Pass ball. Yes, it was a pass ball. (laughs) That's what it was. Pass ball. And then Brogdon comes in and gives up the the hit that scores yet another run. Yeah. that's charged to that's charged to Gregory Soto. Look, Soto Soto didn't get into spring training until late because he had visa issues. The Phillies maintained the entire time that I was down there that don't worry, it's not a problem. He's close to our um, you know training facility in the DR. He's been working with our guys down in Dominican Republic. He's on his program. Everything's fine. He was not good once he got into spring training. Um, and then he gets into the first game in a spot he's probably not used to coming into a game in the fourth inning um, and was just awful. So what do you make of that? Uh, Well, he shouldn't have been in that game at that spot, um, both from a preparation standpoint and from knowing who he is. I actually do like Soto a little bit. I liked him back when he pitched with the Tigers. He is a uh, wild pitcher. Um, He's always struggled with that, and to have him come in – in a situation where it's a tie game and you're in this big spot was just like, kind of like, Hey, here's our new shiny toy. Hope it works out. Like that wasn't a strategic decision. That was a heart decision. And when you make heart decisions, you're going to get beat. Yeah. And that's what happened. And it's funny because they go to Andrew Vasquez after that, uh, later. I mean, after, you know, the Brogdon Brogdon comes out. Yeah. And then they go to Vasquez who's really like your long guy, right. At this point. Well, doesn't it make sense since it's only the fourth inning to go to Vasquez in that spot? And then, look, if Vasquez gives up the hit, okay, fine, it's Vasquez. And and, and you're going to sit there and say, well, it's a high-leverage spot. It's a tie game, and, you know, we can't afford to get behind. But the way you just but the way you had hit up to that point, even if you get behind a run, like, what's the big deal? You're probably going to score more, th- more, you know, still score some more. The fact that you didn't go to Vasquez and you, and you blew out Soto there didn't that's why it didn't make sense to me like I kind of felt like maybe Vasquez can come in look if he gets the out great okay and then he could go the next inning and the next two innings if you needed him to because he stretched out to go multiple innings and you don't burn your bullpen so much but Soto you knew was that was it he was coming in for to get out of that inning and wasn't coming going to come back out the next inning and he didn't even get out of the inning so I, I felt like that was a bad call by Rob Thompson and Caleb Coffin. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big proponent of 
if you your starter comes out early, you have to go to a long reliever next. That's not the order doesn't matter really as much. I mean, you're going to go to a long reliever at some point, and you want to try to maximize, bring him in against the bottom of the lineup generally. But like in this spot, like it just Soto isn't the guy at, at all, and there isn't harm in bringing in another a different lefty. Like it's not like you you didn't have a choice of another lefty here. Well, well another thing that's interesting is. Thompson said after the game, they wanted Matt Schramm to get one inning. They want to get him in because he's starting a game, right? And so they want to get him in and get him some action so it doesn't go eight days between appearances. So he was always going to throw at some point today. Wouldn't that have been a better idea then to throw Strom there and save Soto for later? When I said lefty, that's what I meant. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm also a big guy of uh, if you have a bullpen day, you should be pitching out of the bullpen in the game rather than uh, pitching in the bullpen during the game. You know, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But, uh, but yeah, if you if you knew this was going to happen, this is the perfect kind of like, oh, this is like this happy circumstance. Not really happy, but it's a circumstance where this is the perfect situation to get that one inning. And instead they were like, let's just go with the guy who hasn't pitched to our catcher or hasn't really pitched at all and is very wild. Uh, that just doesn't make sense. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good, and it, and really, I mean, you know, even though they did, you know, get get back to nine six, and then Brogdon gives up the home run, and that kind of, you know, put the end of it. You give up nine runs in the fourth inning. I think that that just killed that killed the vibe, that killed the offensive vibe because they were rolling offensively, and we got to talk about that. I mean, I'm going to get into that too, but I mean that right? I mean, just to kind of put a bow on this bad pitching uh, outing by those three guys, that kills it, right? I mean, you just don't have the same. The same momentum at the plate went once you give up nine runs in the bottom of the fourth. Yeah, if you're not at the plate for 30 minutes, it's tough to keep those bats hot coming back out. Right, like they were passing the stick, they were run, they were taking extra bases, they were stealing, they were playing like a good brand of baseball. And then like when just everything goes wrong, it's tough to just like okay, let's just go do it again. And I, it's funny because I feel like they. Even at the, in the at the very end in the ninth inning, you you felt that kind of energy come back a little bit, but it was just too it was too late by then. So yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but at the plate, I mean, look, they had a great approach with Degrom. Like I said, they had seven extra base hits off of him. Uh, it starts the it all started with um, a double by Nick Castellanos down the right field line, and boy, did they pepper the right field corner, right? I mean. Holy cow, left-handed, right-handed, they make a difference. That's where they were hitting the ball. Uh, double down the right field line by Castellanos and then a two-run home run by Alec Bohm. Um, that really kind of got things started. Um, so let's start with those two guys. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. His home run was opposite field as well to right field. So let's start with those two guys. Um, Bohm ends up – Castellanos ends up with two hits. He goes two for five. Uh, like we said, his, the last at bat wasn't the greatest. Uh, oh, we, I think we said that before we started recording. Um, the last at bat was not the best for Castellanos, but his first four bats, even though there, there were two strikeouts in there, he didn't swing at bad pitches in those first those first uh, two strikeouts. Um, the, the last at bat, he got himself in a hole, swung at two bad pitches out of the zone, and he smartly asked for time at that point to recollect himself, then took three balls before he struck out on what was a strike. It was a breaking ball, but it was a strike, unlike the first two that were out of the zone. But other than that, I mean, two hits, uh, scored scored a couple runs, um, you know, was very active on the bases. Um, talk about Nick Castellanos first, and then we'll then we'll dive into Alec Bohm, who was who had three hits. Um, 
uh, it was a, only a triple shy of the cycle. So he had a, a single double home run, uh, really looking good at the plate. Yeah, Nick uh, had a great game, just plain and simple. I know that last at bat wasn't the greatest, but the the thing that everyone was worried about with Nick was his mental fortitude. Um, and as smart as he approached those first two at those first four at bats, he did, never tried to do too much. On the double, he's just put, hitting it where it's pitched, and I think that was generally the consensus for a lot of right-handed hitters against Agram. Since he's going to be throwing away from you, just go with it. And that's exactly—I mean—that's exactly what Castellanos was doing. He was being very patient, picking his pitches. And yeah, while he did fall behind 0-2 in that last at bat, the ability to compose himself and bring himself and make it a competitive at bat again is the kind of thing you want to see moving forward. He doesn't have to hit a home run every game to become the old Nick Castellanos. He doesn't have to rip doubles all the time. As long as he's having good at bats, they will happen. You're, as long as you find your pitch, you're going to drive the ball. He's a major leaguer. He's been a proven uh, guy who can drive the ball. And if he just picks his pitches and is smarter at the plate, it will come, and then it'll feel easy. Yeah. And, and you mentioned something before we started recording as well about um, just noticing, like, the energy that he had once he was out on the on the bases. You want time to dive into that a little bit? Yeah. So there was a point in time, I think, Boehm took a close pitch – uh, it was uh, away or in. I think it was away. I, f- I forget where it was exactly. But like, uh, and I think Crocker noted it on the uh, broadcast. But like, uh, Nick was out there, is like pumping his fist, telling him like, yeah, that pitch was outside. Like, he feels like he's a part of the team, and, and he feels like he's part of that energy. Where last year it felt like he was Nick Castellanos. Now he feels like he's a Philly, and that's that's an important thing for him to do to. A, endear himself back to people because he lost so much credibility last year, but also to build camaraderie and become that guy without overstepping. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a very important thing to notice, and I think you're right on with that because that matters. That matters a lot in this clubhouse. That matters a lot to this, to this city. And as long as he's productive and you see that out of him, I think that will, be, that will benefit him in the long run. And I think that that's important that he has that mentality right from day one. And I think that he's, he's feeling the need to pick up that, that slack because of, you know, Harper not being there, Hoskins being out for the year. I think Cascanas looks around and goes, okay, those are two veteran guys. I, I, I have to be one of those guys. I have to feel, I have to make up for those guys in the, in that capacity, not necessarily, make up their production but i have to be one of those leadership types and he's he's kind of taken that to heart i you know he said it down in spring training and you saw it in game one and so i think that's certainly a positive alec bohm man not just bulking up i mean that that was huge but i mean i i feel like there is a a new confidence with him at the plate too i mean it's not just he's not just he's always been an able to hit the ball anywhere so nobody was ever shifting him before so you know the taking the shift away does not impact Alec Bohm positively or negatively in, in, in any capacity, but he just looks like he goes up there and has a real idea of exactly what he wants to do with every swing. Yeah, he he is a fighter up there. He he is a contact machine. He fouls off so many pitches, yeah. and it's, it's tough. I, I think it's, it's tough on a pitcher um, because you're thinking, what pitch can I throw – to get him to swing and miss. And he's not going to swing and miss very often. He's so composed in terms of making contact. And it's it's going to turn into those things. Like, 
he's not even he bulked up and hit a home run but like if you're constantly hitting the ball and putting it in play and you're as tall as he is you're going to accidentally hit 25 home runs if, if you do this consistently and if you keep putting the ball in play and keep putting a good swing on any pitch in the zone it's going to be tough to pitch to you and you're going to get pitches that you like then because yeah. we don't really know what he likes he just he just likes everything so i'm sure he has a spot that he likes and like he'll get it because they don't no one really knows what he likes yeah that's good. That's a good point. That's a good point. I was he had a really great game. Uh, hopefully, you see that continue beyond that two nothing lead. Then the Phillies tack on, um, and they were able to do it with uh, again extra base hit after extra base hit. Uh, Brandon Marsh had a double and a triple. Uh, Trey Turner's triple was unbelievable because, and I put this out on Twitter. For, with seriously, some players, that's only a single. Most players, it's a double. Only a choice few players can make that ball be a triple, and Trey Turner's one of them. I, th- I think what's funny about that, because I thought it when he hit it, the way the ball was curving, it was going to go into that little like foul territory well that they have out there. Yeah. And the, the route that the right fielder was taking was like as if he was playing it further down the wall. Yeah. And I, don't, I think what happened was Trey, as he's getting into second, he's looking up towards the throw realizing the right fielder misplayed the ball and just taking off. Yeah. And he's just not even thinking, like, even, even if he has no idea where the ball's at, but the fact that he sees the right fielder reacting a certain way to be like, oh, shoot, the ball's over here, he's going to just go because he's got the speed to do that. So, I, I mean, I think it's that awareness. Yeah. And I'll tell you another thing that I noticed when he runs. Maybe you never notice this. You don't notice this when, he's, when a guy's on another team, but you really notice it when he's on your team. It's almost like his his, and I, I don't know how else to describe it, but his steps are efficient when he runs. And I mean, what I mean by that is, I don't see him making big turns. I see him; it's very sharp, and he cuts the corners of the bags quickly to turn and go to the next next base. Like that, that's impressive to me. It's not like a lot, you know, a lot of guys like to make the big wide turn at first base, or as they're hitting second, right? They they start to give themselves that little bit of momentum and to come almost across the bag as they're catching the corner to head. That's that way they're already heading to third. He almost looks like he's, you know, um, a tabletop hockey player who can turn on him, like just turn on a, on a, on a twist and he's already in the opposite direction. Right. And I just think that that's, there's something to that too. Um, that's really, and how about the play at the plate, like the slide where he curls himself up to make sure he gets underneath on that, uh, on that wild pit. Like I mean, he got home a play that a lot of guys would have been really, really close. He made it seem very simple and easy. Yeah. I mean, he's, it's funny because when he having efficient base running ability is more important than speed. Uh, I mean, Chase Utley, for example, was yeah. one of the best players of all time. Wasn't fast. People don't remember that he wasn't he wasn't slow, but he wasn't fast. Trey right. Turner is also fast. Right. <laughs> so when you combine the two of them, it's like, wow, what am I watching? It's almost like Lorenzo Kane was like that too. Yeah. Like people, it's the same concept. It's like, whoa, how is he getting all these bases? Because not only is he efficient, but he's also fast. And when you combine the two of them, it's deadly. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, so so you had that. But, I mean, Brandon Marsh, give him a lot of credit, too. Uh, double and a triple, um, both lines. He used – he went uh, – the, the triple was down the right field line. Yeah, and uh, the double was down the left field line. So 
Um, that was impressive as well. Um, am I forget who else am I forgetting? Did anybody else have a, a Romuto. Really, oh, Romuto, three hits. Yeah, I mean, he he had what double triple, double, uh, single double triple. He didn't have a home run, right? So he had single double, there, but it's okay. Yeah, it was misplayed, misplayed ball in center field. Um, but point is, is that like, I know a lot of people, and again, it's one game, and I know a lot of people, but I want to say, I know a lot of people were worried that they weren't, you know, without Harper, without Hoskins, they're not going to be able to generate offense. And you look at a game like today, again, against DeGrom, and they did what they did. I don't think this lineup is going to struggle to, to put up offense. No. Nope, not a little bit. I mean, it's it's that's what you get Trey Turner for, because not just because he's so good in his own right, he presents this other way to play, and other guys will copy. And the, yeah. it'll pass on. And it'll bring these other guys like like Marsh has that that's he's, he's not too close to the level of Trey Turner, but he's got that style of play right the same way. And so when you have a guy doing it at the top of the lineup, it makes it easier for the guys further down to like, oh, I can create two in my own way rather than just trying to hit home runs every time. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about a guy who's who didn't play today and who wasn't even uh, dressed today. What is not not even. I mean, he's officially on the roster, but not not officially until Saturday because he had to do some tra- get some traveling in to get to um, to get to Texas and meet the Phillies. Phillies made a trade um, last night. Well, we're recording, so we're recording this uh, on Thursday night after the game. Um, but yesterday, Wednesday, they made a trade with the Oakland A's for outfielder Christian Pache, who um, just to give a little bit of background. Uh, was a you know highly touted outfield prospect for the Atlanta Braves. Um, got an opportunity to be their starting center fielder in 2021 at the beginning of the year, and we're talking 2021 is the year they won the World Series. Um, he got off to a really terrible start offensively with the Braves, um, but his defense was so good, and a lot of people were comparing him to Andrew Jones. That's how that's how good of a defensive center fielder that he is. And they were just like, "Well, man, if the bat just comes around, we got a star player here." Well, the bat never came around, uh, and it was so he was he was so bad offensively that even after Ronald Acuna got hurt, the Braves said, "Let's trade for three outfielders rather than put Pache back out there in the outfield." Um, he then gets traded to Oakland as part of the Matt Olson trade. Um, last year, and uh, the the A's look at it and say, oh, okay, we got a 23-year-old, highly touted prospect. We're going to put him out in center field, and he was even worse with the A's. He hit, I think, 166 with Oakland. Um, he had a decent spring this year. He batted 308 in spring training uh, for the Oakland A's, but the A's had decided that they wanted to move on from Christian Pache, and basically traded him for nothing. The Phillies gave him, uh, you know, a uh, Billy guy named Billy Sullivan, minor league, you know, single A relief pitcher is what Billy Sullivan is. And who knows, maybe eventually becomes a, a major leaguer. But um, that's what they they traded away for Christian Pache. And Pache is going to be on the roster. And Dalton Guthrie is going to be the guy that gets sent down. Pache is out of options, so you can't. If you if the Phillies were to send him down, you'd have to clear waivers. Um, Obviously, uh, they felt that he wouldn't have cleared waivers if Oakland waived him, so that's why they traded for him. Um, so talk to me about Christian Pache. Even the fact that he can't hit a lick, does he benefit this team as the 26th man on the roster, even just if he's a, a late-inning defensive replacement slash pinch runner? 
Yes, um, that's the short answer. Uh, the long answer is it is a risk. Uh, anytime you take on a 160 hitter who is at best going to hit 180, uh, that is definitely a risk. Um, I think the better comp would be more so to Kevin Kiermeyer than it is to Andrew Jones because uh, Kevin Kiermeyer also can't hit. But um, I think he helps not just because defensive replacement, obvious. He's statistically speaking, like he was at, like, I think the fourth best center fielder last year and he only played in 80 games. Like that's, that's how good he is out there. Yeah. Um, but not only can he fill in late, he can also spell Brandon Marsh, which is going to be huge in trying to develop Brandon Marsh because you can't just send Brandon Marsh and tell him to play center field 162 games and expect him to develop healthfully and the way you want him to, you need someone out there and, even if they're not going to provide offensively, if they're out there and they can lock down the defense out there, that's enough on its own. Like I, I would be okay if he hit 140 on his and, and he started those games out there just to spell Brandon Marsh for a bit. Yeah, I, yeah, and it's and you know when you think about it too, Ant, like we 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 just we've discussed this in the past. Like one of your big things last year, one of your big concerns was uh, all year long that defensively. They're, they got issues like, you know, with Schwarber and, and Castellanos in the outfield. This is before they even traded for Brandon Marsh. You had Odubel Herrera in center, you know, an aging D.D. Gregorius at short. Uh, um, they, they hadn't traded for Sosa yet or Marsh yet. Like it was defensively, the Phillies were a mess. Um, and then they went out and got Sosa, who's very good defensively. They got Marsh, who, although he's better on the corners, he's pretty good defensively. Um yeah, yeah, signed Jake Cave this year, who's not a great defensive outfielder, but for the corners, he's you know slightly above average, got a strong arm. And now you trade for Christian Pache, and you can look at it and say, in a game, let's just say, like today, Schwarber's your DH. In a game like today, you got Cave in left, and you start Marsh in center, and you start Castellanos in right. If you're winning the game late, you can put – Marsh over and right and Pache in center. Now all of a sudden your outfield is Cave, Pache, Marsh. They never could do that during the regular season last year. Anything close to that good in the regular season last year. You were basically Marsh in center. Matt Veerling was your, you know, and not that Matt Veerling's bad, but Matt Veerling was your defensive replacement in the outfield. Um, now you add Turner and maybe you throw Sosa out there as a defensive replacement at third base, all of a sudden you look at the Phillies late in the game, you know, they have, they're holding a one or two run lead in the seventh inning and you have three really good out defensive outfielders and three really good defensive infielders and real Muto behind the plate. Your only weakness is maybe first base. Holy cow. That's a big difference from where they were a year ago. And I think that can make a difference in a few games. And I also think that with the abandonment of, not the abandonment, but the, the disallowing of the shift, that outfield defense is going to become that much more important because yeah. there's going to be more balls out there. Um, they already, even though they made that crazy run and you Castellanos made all those catches, that was the one thing that really hurt them that isn't talked about is just they simply couldn't get to balls in the gaps in the in the World Series and even at, and definitely all year last year. So having the option, the ability to cover all that ground is going to save so many outs and help so many pitchers that it's going to just, it's going to help. It's not going to be like, you know, this is not an earth shattering trade. I'm not trying to make this be like, oh, Christian Pache is the savior. But he, but the idea that they, they care about these things 
and that they're trying to address them lets you know that they're making decisions that make sense. Yes, that is the, that's the truth, and, and that's great. And it really does give them the flexibility, like you said, to play Pache maybe against a really tough lefty that, that you know Marsh does not match up well against. So you get him, get him a day off. Pache can play out there. It allows you to you know get more DH time for both Schwarber and Castellanos or give them a day off if necessary. It really gives you a lot of outfield flexibility without – having to especially with Hoskins hurt now I know that they were thinking about having Sosa be an outfield option but with Hoskins hurt and you got against lefties let's just I mean Hall's going to play most of the time but you know every once in a while you're going to move Bohm to first base and you now don't have to worry about putting Sosa in the outfield to replace Marsh Sosa can play third base or second base if you want to give Stott the day off and you don't, and you have someone else that can play in the outfield. So the flexibility that it gives the, the Phillies is is paramount. And I think that the, I think it's an under the radar trade that won't make big waves, but most of the time, when you're a really good team, it's the trades like this that that make the difference, right? Oh yeah, and and I think part of it too is like when you play backups for dispel guys for a day off, you know you're losing their bat. You, you generally start your better bat. That's just how it is. Right. So to have a backup who, yeah, obviously is not going to be as good and is going to be even worse of a bat, but to have them to be such a giant boost defensively is, like, honestly a positive. Yeah. More than anything. Yeah, you're, you know you're losing that bat in the lineup, but you're, you're, you committed to that fate if you're putting Dalton Guthrie out there too. Right. But now you're putting Christian Pache out there who will catch everything in his range. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um I guess I mean that's pretty much it for the for for today. Uh, as far as the Phillies are concerned, they get the day off tomorrow. Uh, Saturday, Zach Wheeler uh, takes the mound four four oh five start time uh, out in Texas against Nate Eovaldi. Um, Rob Thompson said Schwarber will play left field in that game. Um, so I don't know if that means Castellanos is your DH and Cave is in right or Cave is going to be the DH. Obviously, they're going to try and keep the left-handed bats in the lineup against Eovaldi, so we'll see how, how that all lays out. But I think you're going to have a very similar lineup to what you had today uh, in that game for sure. Um, and then Saturday, Sunday and Monday is when it gets interesting because those are the two days. Um, Sunday, they play the Rangers again. Sunday night baseball, by the way, on uh, on ESPN. Um Martin Perez starts for uh, the Rangers. He's left-handed. Uh, and then on Monday when they, they start the series against the Yankees, it's Nestor Cortez uh, in that game, also left-handed. So it'll be interesting to see what the lineups look like against lefties on both Sunday and Monday, how they how they decide to play that out. So um, looking, looking ahead, look, again, I want to leave it with this as far as this game. Yeah, it sucks you lose opening day, right? It sucks you lost to the Rangers. It sucks you blew a five-run lead. Yeah, it wasn't the greatest. It started so well, and then you kind of went, you know, the balloon deflated. I wouldn't put a lot of stock into the loss. I mean, yeah, you can't have a bunch of these, but these kinds of games are going to happen early in the season because the pitchers are just not where they need to be. And it's not just the Phillies. It's a look around. And let's put, hey, at least here's here's a silver lining from today, Ant. At least they didn't get hurt. No, no pitcher got hurt because you know, and you laugh, but Max Freed for the Braves, their opening day starter, left a game with a hamstring injury. He just pulled a hammy. 
eh, just pulling a hammy on your plant on your plant leg as a pitcher, that could knock you out for a few weeks, right? So now all of a sudden, the Bra- not that that's going to kill them, but the Braves they are- have a million pitchers. They have a million. You're right, they do. But you're just lost your best pitcher for you know a couple of weeks, and the Mets just cue, you can cue the cue the curb your enthusiasm music. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Verlander with a uh, a shoulder injury, uh, and he is going on the IL uh, as well. So there go the Mets again, um, and so at least you know. Your, your two biggest rivals just lost a top of the rotation starter at least for a few weeks. The Phillies may have lost a game, but they did not lose a player. So the least in that vein, that's there's a positive, right? Yeah, silver lining. Silver I mean, lining. It, well, well, I think the big thing to to take away from this is you have to learn uh, that Nola wasn't ready and be prepared in case another pitcher is like that early in a game yeah. and get them out. Yeah. That's I, that's the lesson there. I agree. I agree. And maybe, you know, maybe that's something that uh, Rob Thompson and Caleb Cotham can can kind of take the heart a little bit and, and uh, get ready for, you know, the next several games in, in that capacity. All right. One last thing. And I knew we, we I mentioned at the beginning that we were going to talk about this because I know you were you're going to be fired up about it. I know I was a little fired up about it. Um, and I think it's just kind of ridiculous what the league is trying to, uh, you know, the message that they are controlling and trying to push on us as if we are not seeing things with our own eyes, right? Almost like, don't, you know, it's, it's like the emperor's new clothes is what they're trying to do, right? The, the Here we go with the pitch clock again. And I, I have a feeling this is going to be a conversation topic. Every say, you know, we, I think Kevin Kincaid wrote a story on Crossing Broad yesterday or the day before that said that we're going to forget about the pitch clock by the summer. And I completely disagree. I think the pitch clock is going to be a problem. I think it's going to, it's going to stick around and it's going to be an issue. We had two major issues today. And I'm going to talk about the two issues and then I'm going to throw it to you. The two major issues that happened in Major League Baseball, one of them was Phillies related, one was not. The one in the Phillies game, uh, was Degrom was was literally about to have a ball called on him because he was down to two seconds and was not ready to throw the ball, um, and he had suddenly had a um, pitch com issue. Like he said, he couldn't hear in his pitch com in his in his helmet, so he couldn't hear the voice of the catcher. Um, and so they you know they ask for time. He shows it to the umpire. Home plate umpire Jeff Nelson looks at it. He listens to it. The, like Degrom makes the umpire listen to it. He holds it to his ear. Okay, nods, whatever. Then while the guys come out of the dugout to replace the pitchcom system, the umpires huddle. Okay, they have a little huddle on the field, and then they decide to call a ball. They call a ball. Now the, the, the Rangers are upset. And, Rightfully so. I mean, really, they they really should be upset because it's ridiculous that that a ball is being called in that instance. Um, And so Jeff Nelson then has to call the video review room to discuss with them what happened. Take a look at it. See what blah blah blah. And you know, after about a three minute delay or a roughly three minute delay, uh, they decide to take the ball off the board. Now, okay, everything's okay. That's the rule. And then, you know, meanwhile, Kyle Schwarber is completely out of sync. All right. DeGrom's been throwing warm-up pitches in between, but Schwarber's standing off to the side. He then has to step back in after a three-minute hiatus 
no, you know, kind of lost the the mojo of the at bat and face down on 100 mile per hour fastball that he swings through and strikes out and he's pissed off, right, rightfully so for Kyle Schwarber. So here's a situation where the pitch clock not only did not speed up the game, did not create action in the game, but actually created. Uh, a detriment to it slowed the game and it created a detriment as far as the batter okay in this instance the other example occurred in the game between the uh boston red sox and the baltimore orioles where uh it ends up being a one-run game that the orioles win win by a run but rafael devers is up at the plate and i believe it was a full count maybe it might have been two two i forget what the actual count was but rafael devers steps to the plate and he's in the box He's absolutely in there. He didn't step out. He's not. He's in the box, and just the only difference is, is he's not looking directly at the pitcher, who at this point, by the way, wasn't ready to deliver the pitch. Was not ready. He was just still kind of standing there himself, looking for a, uh, you know, looking for a sign. I don't even know if he was even looking at the catcher at that point. And at the eight-second mark, the umpire calls De- Devers for not being, not engaging with the pitcher. Strike three, he's out. So a guy just struck out, major like a, a star player in a one-run game, just struck out because he wasn't looking at the pitcher. Okay, once again, is this creating action in the game? No, it's not. Is this good for the game? No, it's not. It's just ridiculous at this point. And the third thing I want to throw to this, going back to the Schwerber thing, Rob Manfred comes onto the broadcast. If you're watching from home, you saw this. He was on with Tom McCarthy and John Crook. And, and the first question they asked him was about the issue with, which the, with the pitch comp. And Rob Manfred said, yeah, you know, I had, to, I had to look into this before I came on with you guys. And, and he freaking flat out lied. Flat out lied on the broadcast when he said the umpire did not know that the pitch comp had stopped working. Are you kidding me? That was the whole conversation before they huddled. He listened to Jacob DeGrom's pitch comp. He held it to his ear. How can Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, come on the broadcast and go, oh, yeah, he didn't know. That's why he called the ball. That's BS, man. And it shows the fraud that they are pushing on us. And it's absurd. It's really absurd. It frustrates me. I get fired up about it. I know you're not happy about it either. I want to throw it to you. So, I mean, the general thing to say about all of it is the pitch clock is causing judgment calls. Judgment calls in sports, no matter what sport it is, no matter what kind of fan you are, what you want to happen, make sports worse because it's all up to an arbitrary person who's not playing the game to determine the outcome of the game. Think about how mad people got in the, after the penalty to um, against, the, against the Saints or the Rams. or whoever, this, the, the Saints, Saints got to back-to-back years, yeah. yeah. So or the non-call, rather, not, not a penalty. Think about foul calls in the NBA. Think about how people are mad about the strike zone being enforced with the umpire behind it, so much so that literally that's the only judgment call that was left in baseball. They were getting rid of all of them. They just added one back in. And the fact that despite all these rules, I know MLB's on this big, uh, they have all these commercials out there talking about the rules. They're, they're trying to be funny, saying you know, they can steal bases now. The shift's gone. There, there's going to be more action. Notice how there's not, and I'm going to call them paid media members, paid off by the league, 
going around and apologizing for anything but the pitch clock. Jeff Passan is the big one, who is the the biggest puppet of the league. He uh, he lives in uh, Rob Manfred's basement. Um, <laughs> and the fact that he has to go around, and other people too, it's not just him, but other big names in media have to go around saying how great the pitch clock is before it even happened. And the other thing that is big here, big, 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 because everyone's saying that people will love the pitch clock and people have loved the pitch clock. In both situations, there was loud booing in the stadiums when these things happened. Mm -hmm. People did not enjoy this. The fact that you're going to sit there and pretend, it's like a WWE thing. They're, they're, They're quieting out the crowd and being like, no, 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 you like this. Like, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, is that if you can't, it, it, when you put a rule in, you have to have everything checked off. You have to know what happens in the situation. The MLB rulebook has rules for if people just start, if someone was on first base, just sprints into right field for no reason. Okay? There's rules for that. <laughs> but we can't figure out what happens when our shitty technology stops working. All right? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you, you don't have the right people in charge. And it's 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 not going to change because it's an all-boys club. And they're going to keep appointing former players who already made their millions and other people who appease the owners to just do whatever they want. And that's the problem. Yeah, and, and really, again, Anthony, and this is the thing that – and you're, you were spot on with, with all that. The fans booing, right, everything about it. It was just, it was just bad. But the whole thing that we were told about th- th- these new rules – is that they were going to create more action in the game. And here's two examples in the same day. And people are, the proponents can say we're cherry picking them, but we had several of them in spring training too. Like, I mean, it's not, I'm not, we're not just cherry picking. We're pointing out every time there's a screw up, every time it screws up, it's not affecting the game. Even when it works, even when it's called correctly. It's not creating action for the game. All it's doing is stopping the game for a few seconds, awarding a ball or a strike based off of that arbitrary decision that you just pointed out, and then says, okay, now let's get back to the game. So there, it does not engender action in any shape or form. It's, it's as counterintuitive and counterproductive to the goal that the Major League Baseball has for it and yet we're supposed to sit here and make pretend that we're not seeing what we're seeing. Like, I don't understand. I just don't understand why we allow it to happen, why we allow this to go. And I hope the fans boo the shit out of it forever. I hope that they never stop booing it. I hope they boo it every time it happens. And I can't wait, in all honesty, to be at Citizens Bank Park the first time it happens here. I can't wait because that will be, that will be a great experience. And I hope Rob Manfred sees and hears the, that one too, because it's embarrassing what's happening to baseball with this with this stupid pitch clock. I don't I don't care that it's made the game twenty minutes faster. I really don't. I really don't care. Twenty minutes. You want you want there to be more action. People won't give. Let there be more action. People won't care about the twenty minutes if there's action. The problem was there was no action. There was no action in the game. Too many people were striking out. And there was no balls in play. Nobody was stealing bases. There was no more pitch outs. Like they, these things went away. That was action in the game. You took out all that stuff out with with the with with doing things by the analytics. Let the game be the game, and the time of the game doesn't matter. Because look, 
a football game's three and a half hours. Used to be three. It's now three and a half. It's a half hour longer now than it was when I was a kid. Okay. And some of that's television, but the games are longer because of the way that they change the rules. But you don't ever hear people complaining about that. Why? Because there's constant action. There's always action. It doesn't, it doesn't matter that it's three and a half hours, right? So if you have constant action taking place in your sport, then it doesn't matter what the time is. That's all. They, I mean, they're, they're focused on the wrong thing. And, and they have some rules that I think that they got right, you know, that creating more opportunities to steal bases. I think it's a good thing. The potential for a little bit more offense, you know, balls in play, I think it's a good thing. But rushing pitchers and rushing batters and having communication devices fail and not knowing what the rules are and striking guys out because their eyeballs aren't in the right place at the right time when they're batting. I mean, it's it's gotten to the point of absurdity. It really has. And I think that that's this is going to ultimately be worse for baseball than it's going to be better. Yeah. I mean, it's the fact of the matter is, is that you go to any other sporting, uh, any other sporting event and you are never watching and counting how long the game takes. Right. No, and they all have clocks. Yes. In them, okay. Yeah. Nobody ever, you never say, you never see on ESPN. Oh, this basketball game took two and a half hours. No one, no one says that. No one right. says when the Super Bowl takes five hours. No, no one says anything. Right. The MLB, the MLB is saying these things, and so now people are saying it. Even, even to the point where my one friend to me uh, today said that the pitch clock is good because it's creating action, which is literally just not. Just it's just not true. The, the fact that a pitch clock exists is not creating action. The same amount of pitches are going to take place. Everything is going to also happen in this game. If anything, the fact that you're you're taking away pitches. You're taking away. You're literally taking away action by definition. But the thing is that the league has just been drilling this into people's heads with their BS media campaigns that they pretend that they didn't do ten years ago and blame Mike Trout for not being more popular because they didn't do a goddamn thing back then. But now that they want to have their own thing, you can't. You can't have your cake and eat it too. It's just. It's just embarrassing. Embarrassing. It's embarrassment of a business decision too. Because guess what? What was the biggest thing that boosted baseball? The World Baseball Classic. Not your stupid rules. And hey, did they have the pitch pitch clock in the World Baseball Classic? No. Did anybody complain about the time of games in the World Baseball Classic? Nobody. I didn't think so. Globally. <laughs> Globally. But most watched baseball game in the history of the sport was Japan versus the USA. Nobody talked about the length of time. And everybody was there glued to the screen for Otani versus Trout in the ninth inning of that game. Nobody was not watching the game at that point. Nobody dropped off. And so, yeah, it's too late. That eh, game's too long. I'm not going to pay attention. Everybody saw it around the world. There's a reason for that because they let the game be the game. Uh, on that note, we will end this episode, which, hey, not bad for our first father-son episode alone, right? I mean, we did, we did a good job here for an hour. Hopefully people will enjoy it. Um, you can, uh, you know. Find us on uh, the Crossing Broad YouTube channel if you want to actually watch the show. Uh, but please uh, subscribe to Crossed Up wherever uh, you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. Heck, uh, I think you can even ask Alexa to play it, right? Say, Alexa, play Crossed Up a Phillies podcast, and she will. 
Um, so that's a pretty cool thing too. Uh, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. It was up on the screen the whole time. Uh, I, I just put the, uh, the ticker up, but I'll show the, 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 uh, Twitter's things again. Uh, that would be, uh, Bob, who's not here, uh, you know, new dad, in case you missed the beginning of the show, uh, at Bob Wankel CB, I'm at Aunt San Philly. The show is at up Phillies. Uh, when are you getting the Twitter account that we can that people I keep I people I get DMs from people you know say tell Anthony I can't tell him on Twitter tell Anthony what I, what I think well great well I can't I, I can tell you all I want but I mean it'd be great if you got your own Twitter account you know send a carrier pigeon I receive them <laughs> I got a box uh, one day we'll get him on there one day we'll get him on there so uh, all right so Sunday night I don't know if Bob will be back uh, it might just be the two of us again um, but uh, it'll probably be well. We'll probably record Monday morning because Sunday night is the game. It's Sunday night baseball, uh, so it'll probably be a little bit late to be recording Sunday night. But uh, Monday will be the next episode, so be sure to, to to tune in again on Monday. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. Uh, enjoy the Phillies and the Rangers, and we will talk to you again on Monday morning. <laughs>